This is a podcast from Camden Community Radio. For more information and to volunteer, email info at ccradio.org. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Camden's Hidden Treasures. In this episode, I am meeting Jeff, who is going to give me a tour of number two Willow Road, one of the very few National Trust properties in Camden. The episode will be a little bit longer than usual because Jeff is actually going to show me around the house. This is the best way to see or hear to Willow Road because there are many, many details that you wouldn't notice if you just walked around on your own or if you just heard a summary of the house. And in fact, half of the time that the house is open is devoted to guided tours. So if you turn up before two o'clock, you can go on a tour. The tours are offered at 11, 12, 1 and 2 p.m and filled on a first-come, first-served basis. If you arrive after three, you can explore on your own. So you might find this a helpful indication of which rooms you'd like to spend your time in. But I, I really recommend a visit. I had a great time walking around with Jeff. So without further ado, we'll now go on an audio exploration of Two Willow Road. My name's Jeff, uh, Jeff Boyd. I'm a volunteer guide with the National Trust at Two Willow Road in Hampstead. And that's where we are now. We've come into Willow Road, we're facing Hampstead Heath, and we're just beside a terrace of three houses uh, designed by Hungarian-born architect uh, Erna Goldfinger and built between 1937 and 39. Uh, the middle of these houses, which is the largest of the three houses, was the house that Erno designed for him and his family. And he, his wife and children lived in this house from 1939. Erno and Ursula uh, lived here right through until their deaths. And then the question was, well, what's going to happen to the house and the collection? Um, inheritance tax was payable, but the Treasury accepted the house as a permanent gift to the nation in lieu of the tax. And then the National Trust stepped in and opened it, uh, the first modernist property, in 1996. So we're going to go in now and uh, have a look round. So he's born in Hungary, uh, age of 19, family would go to Vienna, I think the communists had moved into uh, Budapest. Uh, he then, 1920, he goes to Paris, where he stays with his cousin, and he begins at the school of, the, well, the Ecole des Beaux-Arts, a classical school of architecture, and of course we're at a period there at the end of the First World War. We've been through the classical architecture, the Beaux-Arts. Uh, we've had Art Nouveau. But this generation of young adult men and women really want to do modern things, clean things. It's the coming of the machine age. It's stripping away all the decoration. It's less is more. And Erna was one of those, those minded architects. He studies at the Beaux-Arts for 10 or more years until he eventually qualifies. And the way it worked at the Beaux-Arts is you had the theory at the school, but the practical work was done in ateliers, in these workshops. And the student group were responsible for organising your atelier lead, your, your chief. 
and Erno and his fellow students approached Le Corbusier, the architect and designer, but Corbusier turned them down, but he gave them the name of a guy called Auguste Perret, who Corbusier had looked up to, a pioneer of reinforced concrete, and Auguste Perret became Erno's new hero. And by the time Erno moves here with his English wife in the 1930s, he, his, his materials, um, his preferred materials are reinforced concrete. Mm. And he's very functional in the way he designs the house. So it really is stripped down. It's a functional house. And we're here in the, the dining room. And you can see the volume of the space, high ceiling here. We've got very large windows across the front of this terrace of three houses. All of the furniture in this dining room, not typical British 1930s furniture design. You can see all around the walls this wonderful art collection. And Erno, in his time in Paris, got to know a lot of artists, uh, sculptors, other architects. And this was an explosive time in Paris in the 1920s, uh, the Jazz Age. It was all happening there. Artists were flocking into Paris. And Ursula, his, his to-be wife, came to study in Paris. She was English. She came to study with a French artist, Amadeus and Font. And so together, they had this shared love of art. And just in this dining room, as you look around, a lot of the art in here is early work from that 30s period. This is my favourite. <laughs> okay, I like this one too. So we're looking at a black and white geometric optical art painting by British artist uh, Bridget Riley. Bridget Riley was a great portrait artist, but it was this black and white geometric art that propelled her to international fame in the 60s. The Goldfingers were early supporters of Bridget Riley. They went to her second ever exhibition. It's there that they ordered this painting. I remember going to a Bridget Riley exhibition with my granny and standing for ages in front of the different artworks because you really feel like things are moving while you're looking at a still painting. Optical illusion, yeah. yes. Here in the studio, a room that Erno designed for his wife Ursula, we have more art including two works by Ursula. You can see also that standing here in the studio we're looking one way towards the lounge at the back of the living room at the back of the house and here at the front next door the dining room. And Erno's wanted to create flexible space, so he's designed partitioning. Folding partitions fold right back, or you can close. This is brilliant. You can open up the whole first floor. Yeah. It's great. We've come into the living room. More art. Lots more art, including a kinetic piece by Marcel Duchamp. Wow. Marcel Duchamp's rotor relief. He loved experimenting with rotating discs. And of course, Marcel Duchamp was the man who, the artist who shocked the world when he displayed the toilet as a work of art in the twenties. <laughs> but um, there's another piece of kinetic art in here, which is this one. This is kinetic art, not because the art moves, but because we have to move. And if you move across and head right over into the corner of the room, and move back again. Wow. How good is that? Yeah, it's an entirely <laughs> different picture. It's kind of like an like a 
old-fashioned hologram. Yes, and it's by uh, an artist who is now in his late 80s, Israeli-born Yaakov Agam. Let's head up. I love the, the rope on the staircase. Yes, so we're heading up a spiral staircase. And spiral staircases were something of a signature for Erno. He liked them a lot, and they're in lots of his building plans. Rather different from a spiral staircase you'd see in an old castle, mm. where you'd see a stone spindle through the centre. But here we have a reinforced concrete drum, and the concrete steps come from the edge of the drum. Mm. They have a steel rod through them, bolted, and then it's all bolted to a steel frame, an iron frame. It keeps everything secure. This is the Goldfinger's bedroom. We've got art by um, German surrealist Max Ernst, a diptych, the past and the present. Max Ernst drawing images from his subconscious. Mm. And we've got a smaller work by uh, another surrealist artist, a Danish-born artist, Rita Kern Larsen. Going into British bedrooms of the 1930s, most commonly you'd have found freestanding bedroom furniture, wardrobes, mm. dressing tables, chest of drawers. Mm. But in this room we've got fitted wardrobes. Mm. And Ernest designed these fitted wardrobes. He loved designing fitted wardrobes. He, he entered a competition in Austria to design fitted wardrobes. <laughs> Are these their clothes yes. originally? and I often try to work out. I, I suspect those were Ursula's trainers. Mm -hmm. But there's two spares of ice skates there as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but we also have in this, um, off this room, a feature not very common in British homes of the 30s, which is an ensuite bathroom. Wow. And again, roof lights. Roof lights are very important because these three properties have a flat roof. British people of this period of the 1930s were used to those brick-built houses with pitched roofs. Um, so this was very unusual for British homes in the 1930s. And the concrete roof... Erno has punched holes in to provide these roof lights which bring natural light into the bathrooms, toilets mm. and into the bedrooms. And they do really pull yeah. in a huge amount yeah, of light. Yeah, it's, it's almost dazzling I compared know. to the rest of the house. And then we have a spare bedroom and a fold-up bed. What? There used to be four in the house. This is the only remaining fold-up bed and you can just flick it up. And look at the bedside light here. Above the bed, it's an uplighter. So it reflects light, it shines light up into that white curved area and then reflects it down again. So you don't get blinded while you're reading. Exactly. <laughs> and there's so much storage in this house, cupboards everywhere. All very clever. Now we've come into the space wow. at the back of the house and we're actually standing in two-thirds of the space at the back of the house. The other one-third is beyond this folding partition. Originally there was another partition here. Pull the partitioning across the room in the evening. Mm -hmm. You now have three children's bedrooms. Each of these bedrooms had a fold-up bed. Each of them had a door to the landing. In the morning, fold up the beds push the partitioning back to the wall, you've got the nursery. So clever. Isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, as the children grew, both Peter and Michael used the downstairs apartment with their children. And in the late 50s, Erna's mother, Regine, moved into the house, into this room. Uh, she wasn't a modernist. She liked her Austro-Hungarian <laughs> furniture. Oh, wow. <laughs> Looks completely different, yeah. So this is a picture of uh, Regine with her now in this room. Um, and as you can see from the picture here and the writing underneath, she lived until she was 101. Wow. The garden... Originally, this was a communal garden. So the three houses shared a communal space from 39 through until sometime in the 60s when the garden was divided up so that now each of our neighbours have their own gardens, which mm. they look after. And the middle section, which is the Goldfinger Garden, looks as wonderful as it does mm. because the gardener at the 17th century Fenton House, the other National Trust property, comes and does this every couple of weeks. Mm. There's so many things in here that you wouldn't, you wouldn't know why they were special without a guide. But is there one thing that you that stands out to you as a favourite thing, or has a particular story with it that people might miss if they just walked in? Well, it, 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 I have to pick my personal favourite piece of art, and it is a, a, a work of art, small work of art, um, by Israeli-born Yaakov Agam. And there are postcards in the archive collection between Yakov Agam, who's now in his late 80s and lives in Paris, and Erno, about this piece of, piece of art. And one of the reasons I like it is, although it's a static piece of art, you can describe it as a piece of kinetic art. The art doesn't move, but when you move, the image, the colours change. It's wonderful. And I just love it. And I've done a little bit of work over the years on just looking more closely at Yaakov Agam. I've been to Tel Aviv with my partner and looked at his work that's in the Museum of Modern Art in Tel Aviv. And he also designed a wonderful public fountain in Tel Aviv, in Dissengoff Square. So I have a great time, a deal of time for Yaakov Agam. And he's another example of an artist who... Erno and he didn't know each other in the early days, the 20s and 30s. I think they got to know each other later in life. But clearly, it's a piece of art that meant something to Erno. Like, I'm sure, all the pieces of art, it just happens to be my favourite. And it's an easy one to miss because it's not the biggest. It's in the living room. It's displayed in a frame with other smaller works of art. But once you look at it and start to move from one side to the other, I think you're going to be hooked. Are there any buildings designed by Ono Goldfinger in London that people can go and see? Yes, you can look at the outside of most of these buildings. Um, there is a block of apartments in Regent's Park Road in Primrose Hill. It's quite a small block. I think there are only ten apartments there. And it was built for a sort of a community housing group. Um, so that's still there. There is Haggerston School in Haggerston in Hackney, which he designed. Uh, there is Trellick Tower in Edenham Street, which is his best-known London building, and that was completed in 72. Um, there are several blocks on the Brownfield Estate in East London in Poplar, including 27-storey Balfrontar, which you can go and look at. Um, there are a couple of houses. There's a house in Essex 
and there's a house in Oxfordshire. So there are other buildings he designed, which you could certainly go and look at. He had designed the French tourist offices in Piccadilly as well, and Metro Central Heights. Metro Central Heights is part of the old office development in Elephant Castle, the best known of which was Alexander Fleming House, but all that remains is Alexander is Metro Central Heights, which is a block that was converted into apartments. That's a Goldfinger block. So how did you first become a, a guide here? <laughs> well, I, in 2008, I started doing a City of London guide training course, a one-year course. So I finished the course in 2009, I qualified, and then I got an email from the National Trust welcoming me as a volunteer to Two Willow Road, which was a bit of a surprise because I didn't know I'd volunteered. But one of the trainers had recommended me, and so that's how I became a, a guide here. I, I love the house because I've been guiding here for 10 years, and when I came here I had no knowledge about modernism, um, I didn't have that much knowledge about art either. And so it's been an education for me. And I've really grown to love this house and the collection and the story and the family. And a great deal of respect for a man who you know, was an emigre architect making a name for himself and very definite about the style of architecture that, that motivated him, that inspired him. Mm. And um, I think this house, which is very understated, it just isn't ostentatious, mm. it's very straightforward. And it's really a testimony to, to the quality of his work. Mm. Mm. Um, and he had thought, put a lot of thought into designing this house. I think in Ursula had had a conversation at one point about designing a family home when he had said to Ursula that he wanted to get it right. Mm. So he did take a lot of time to think this one mm. through. It seems to me like it is a real hidden treasure. I've, I've walked along here a few times and not even noticed it. It's, I guess Camden is full of hidden treasures like that. Camden is absolutely stuffed to the rafters with hidden treasures. You can walk just a, a, across just about any street in Camden and find hidden treasures. And, you know, just here, if you walk up the road here, there's the well-walked pottery. It's no longer functioning as a pottery, but I've been looking at that sort of premises with the sign for nearly 50 years and it's just another little sort of treasure uh, it's wonderful so yes it's lovely and do you think um is there anything else like this in camden because it's such a great collection of a particular style of both art and architecture is there anywhere else like that i, I guess? think what makes this house special is the architect who designed it lived here with his family and once he and his wife moved in, they lived here for the rest of their lives. And it was a family home. They happened to have this wonderful 20th century art collection. Now, I don't know of any other family home in Camden that is open to the public that has an art collection like that. So that makes it special as well. And there are only two National Trust properties in Hampstead. Um, in fact, I think there might only be two National Trust properties in Camden. Again, that makes it a bit special as well. So, as you've heard, Two Willow Road is full of special treasures and artworks and architectural designs. 
I found the most striking feature the amazing way that Goldfinger has managed to make small spaces feel huge. It's a very good education for anyone trying to make a small flat feel bigger. Some really good storage solutions that IKEA would be jealous of. I really didn't expect to like this modernist building as much as I did, but I I really liked it and I'm definitely going to go back. So I recommend it, especially as the weather gets a bit colder and rainier. It's a great place to visit on a rainy day. And if it's not raining, then you can go for a walk on Hampstead Heath afterwards. I hope you found this introduction to Two Willow Road helpful and that you're inspired to go and visit. Listen to the other episodes in this series for more hidden treasures of Camden. And if you want to go on a tour with any Camden guides, including Jeff, you can go to camdenguides.com. Thank you for listening. You are listening to a podcast from Camden Community Radio. www.ccradio.org. Thank you.